When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Hello and welcome to episode 110 of Padarelle. And on this episode, I'm talking to Shazia Mertzer, who is absolutely hilarious comedian from the UK, if you haven't heard of her. And uh, we shared a dressing room in the uh, at the Edinburgh Festival. We were sharing the same venue, actually. She was on straight after me. So we had great uh, little chats uh, just after my show and before her show. And uh, when I got back, she agreed to uh, do the podcast via Skype. And uh, this is brilliant because um, uh, you know the way things are in in Ireland. There's a there's a slight uh, minority of right wing people at the moment. You see them online a lot and uh, protesting outside Google at one point as well. And just this with these, they put up these awful claims. Yes, Kibley, that's my cat. There, she's. She uh, is a right wing as well. And uh, they, they put up uh, some just very negative things about uh, immigrants and uh, Islam. And so if there's anything negative they can find uh, online and they'll they'll stick it up. And uh, and then it's just this biased, uh, slanted view that that uh, is given. And um, so speaking with Shazia I think it's just great to just chat with someone who um, you just see just uh, uh, grew up in uh, Pakistani parents and uh, immigrants from Pakistan and uh, grew up in a Muslim environment and well she's just an ordinary girl just like any uh, young person who grown up in a very strong Catholic background who has the uh, divided loyalties between the old uh, traditions and uh, a new outlook. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. You know what I mean. So uh, over the uh, weekend, I did a gig with uh, Ardla Hanlon. Um, oh man, everything's going off now here. Ardla Hanlon and uh, a tiny little gig yeah, just outside Drogheda there, and we did. Uh, um, it was great to see him again. I'd met him at the Electric Picnic just recently, anyway. But uh, and he did a lovely set. Uh, which um, um, he's, he's uh, it was like a warm up for a tour that's coming up for him, and uh, I think he has a gig in uh, Vicar Street and a couple more gigs in Ireland. And then on Sunday night, I did a gig um, called Token Straight. So I was the Token Straight, and uh, all the other acts were there were um, uh, of uh, whatever gay, trans, uh, bi, whoever. Um, 
members of the LGBTQ plus community so that was really good like i mean it was a lovely atmosphere it was packed out on a sunday night in shin a downstairs lovely little venue cozy reminded me very much of the early days doing the uh, international the comedy cellar bar when uh, in fact ardell handling himself started out so uh, it's that kind of supportive audience uh, kind of feeling that we're doing something that is off the beaten track perhaps um and because uh, there's growing um, gay and trans uh, stand-up uh, community, uh, to the point where yes, they they can there there are exclusive venues for um, uh, gay and trans comedy. So it was really amazing, actually, and I loved doing it. And it just made I started to think about it. I mean, it was like when I arrived in Dublin from the countryside, and I was about. 1920, 21, whatever. Um, there was a gay club in the in Temple Bar, which was illegal because it was illegal to have a gay club. It was a club called the Hirschfield Centre, um, and it, it uh, and and it has come from then. So I don't know how long. Ago, that's quite a while ago, but still, to think the things have moved on so much, it's brilliant, you know. Um, so yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, uh, so it's confusing times at the minute, isn't it? Because uh, I was just looking there that Morrissey had a, uh, a far uh, protester thrown out of his of his gig. Um, it's just that Morrissey would you, at that time when I was growing up, Mar- Morrissey would have been seen as the uh, total indie, um, you know, right on dude who just sang to the people in their in their bed sets who who for whom life was tough and they were they were uh, misunderstood and it was like you know the total epitome of alternative indie music and uh, um, now he's seen as a right wing <laughs> uh, dude with some uh, very questionable questionable attitudes it's just as uh, bloody amazing how things change yeah so um yeah just before i uh we listen to this uh shazia Mirza podcast i just want to tell you there's a few gigs coming up because you probably won't wait until the end of the uh of of the podcast to hear me so uh, on the 11th on friday i'm in uh, mullingar theater with patrick mcdonald on the 12th saturday i'm in the riverbank theater with patrick mcdonald in newbridge and uh, then on the 18th i'm in Knoll in the little theater there with patrick mcdonald and on the 19th i'm in a bar in longford uh, I'll find out what the name of that bar is by the end of the podcast and uh, and then of course coming up it's the Comedy Carnival, Vodafone Comedy Carnival in Galway, which I'll be doing. I'll be doing improv on um, the Saturday afternoon, actually, in the Roisin Dove with the Steve Frost Comedy Improv All-Stars. And uh, also Rich Hall will be a guest along with me. Uh, and I'll be on the Sunday afternoon, I'll be doing a Father Ted show with Patrick McDonnell. And both nights I'll be doing... Come up here in a couple of gigs in uh, in the town hall theater, yeah. But um, but you go on the website. It's Vote Home Comedy Festival. Anyway, here we go. This is Shazia Mirza, who had just come from meeting a 
couple of members from the royal family that morning of the interview, namely William and Kate. Because apparently I am a very successful brown person in Britain. Yeah. It was only, only brown people were invited, Joe. You would never have got in. <laughs> uh, it was all. It was all. Um, basically, William and Kate are going to Pakistan in a few weeks, uh, and because um, they've never seen brown people before, they wanted to meet a few before they went. <laughs> um, just to uh, just to get familiar with what we do and how we talk and how we are. Mm. So they decided to meet 30 of um, Britain's most successful Pakistani people. There's only 30 of us that are <laughs> successful. <laughs> and so they mm. put us in a room at the Aga Khan Centre in King's Cross and we met William and Kate. Mm. And it was just basically 30 Pakistani people uh, talking to them about Pakistan. And uh, we had loads of food afterwards. Oh, OK. And do you actually have a chat with them? You... Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I spoke to them for about ten minutes. Uh, they asked me about my comedy. Um William said, have you performed in Pakistan? I said, Yes. Um and Kate said, What do you have to change a lot of stuff? And I said, Um, yeah, I have to change stuff. Um uh, I said, you know, um they're quite a repressed culture, so um the ruder I am, the more they like it. And William said, What? So like us over here then? And I said, yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, uh, William just said, I'll be taking a bit of my comedy over to Pakistan as well. Uh, it's accidental comedy. It's not, um, it's, it's not prepared. <laughs> but it was quite funny. They, they have got such a good sense of humour. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. I've met the whole family. And I have yeah. to say, they're probably the most normal. Kate and William are. Mm. Yeah. 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 But the newer generation of royals have a bit more uh, idea of what happens in the real world. Yeah. Right. And um, I briefed all my... Um, I, I was appointed leader of the group when I got there. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So I was in charge of... Um, I was the leader... Of, they put us into groups and I was the leader of five other Pakistani men and they were all really funny it was people in the entertainment business so there was another comedian mm. a writer an actor and I was going to introduce them as because uh, I had to introduce everyone to the to William and Kate I was going to introduce them as ISIS <laughs> we just couldn't stop laughing I was going to introduce myself and say uh, and these are my this is my group here ISIS and we just couldn't stop making jokes it was really funny actually yeah. And I, I, briefed the, I briefed the boys. I said, you know, don't mention Diana. Don't mention Diana. When you're under that pressure, yeah. you want to say all the wrong and the worst and the bad things. Yeah. And here, are you briefed by somebody from the royal household? Yeah. Uh, yeah, as to yeah. What, what to say and what not to say and what, yeah, what etiquette. Uh, we were told no selfies. Mm. As though... We were going to get our phones out and go, Oi, William and Kate, let's have a <laughs> selfie now. <laughs> <laughs> 
ridiculous. And so, um, and do you curtsy no, or anything? Uh, no, William shook my hand. Oh, yeah. I was told not to kiss him. Were you? <laughs> Why the fuck would I do that? <laughs> Why would I? Do that? I will. Yeah, let me just snog you. Like who? Who? Who does that? Why yeah. did they say, don't kiss him? Like, oh my god, he's with his wife. Yeah, yeah. Why would I want to kiss him? <laughs> I wonder if no... somebody's done that then. That's that it. is, yeah. Who? Yeah. Who is that desperate? Please. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I go to these things for the material. Yeah. I'm really not that interested in the royals or what they do or the way they're glorified. I I, I go because I uh, for the material. It's an experience, you know. Mm. And you know, um, comedy, you need the, you need the experiences. Yeah. Oh uh, no, I'd go if I was invited. Yeah, definitely. Um, but the Irish aren't popular anymore we're not we're not as cool as we used to be oh my yeah. god do you think not do you think it's been ruined by uh bob geldoff and his other uh mate bono yeah well definitely bono because bono's i think they are responsible for the decline in um irish any any kind of respect that the Irish had. I feel that Bono trashed it overnight. He did. I feel that it was murdered by Bono all all over the world. Like, the I Ireland is such a small country. I've been there so many times. Mm. And I've been all over Ireland. And for such a small country and for such a small population, the Irish have had a major impact all over the world mm. in terms of literature and writing, and music, and film. Um, you know, the Irish really made a stamp in the world. Yeah. And I yeah. feel that Bono came along and just just trashed it overnight. He's paused back a hundred <laughs> years. It's terrible. <laughs> like, it's so famous. You've got so many amazing writers. Yeah, but all of the great writers uh, all left Ireland first, you know. So it's but, but they're still Irish. Oh yeah, they are great. They are Irish, uh, of course. Yeah, but it's just that they, you do need to leave Ireland to get to um, get uh, from under the yoke of oppression. Uh, the oh my God, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I I left Birmingham. The minute I could get out of Birmingham, I just fucking got the hell out of there. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I'd still be there. I'd be there, married to some Muslim man. Mm. I'd have five kids. I'd be living in a house, wondering what the fuck I did with my life. Mm. I'd you... be just like 40, just like waiting to die. Yeah, you really. Did you, did you have a, a, a strict Muslim upbringing? Oh, yeah, my God, it was really strict. But you know what? I have a lot of Irish fans. Mm -hmm. And they always say to me, I can relate to your upbringing. Yeah. All, all the time. Uh, the guilt, the repression, uh, the subjugation of women, um, the expectation, the religion, the culture. Mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, like I've got loads of Irish friends who are atheists, right? Mm -hmm. But they don't, they don't say they're atheists. They say they are Irish atheists. Oh, uh, because, what's that mean? 
I don't think you can ever escape religion. No, not when it's been drummed into you for the first 18 years of your life. Yeah, it's different. I don't think you can ever escape it. I mean, you can call yourself an atheist, but I don't think you can truly escape it. Yeah, yeah. I know, yeah, there's a lot of mad shit I, I, uh, I felt growing up. A lot of guilt and all that kind of mad shit. And just trying to get my head around the fact that does hell really not exist? It's very hard. It takes a while to to uh, to really get that out of your head that you're there's a you know that you're being tempted by the devil and that that you're going to be punished. Yeah, I just, I just, it just it makes sense. Although there's lots of things I hate about religion, and I think it's very destructive and it can make you very unhappy. Mm. Uh, the effect that it has on your life that is everlasting and you can never get rid of that mm. but I just find it hard to believe that there is no hell and no heaven there must there must be all the people that do terrible things in this world I just don't believe that they're going to get away with it really so you believe there is a heaven and hell Oh. Uh, yeah, I do. I just think I believe, strongly believe in the afterlife. I believe there's an afterlife. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I just can't believe. You know, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I just can't believe that this is it. Is this it? Mm. You know, like we were, we were born. We didn't ask to be born. We didn't choose to be born. We just arrived here one day, I, and then one day we will die. I just can't believe that that's it. I think that there must be an explanation to this. Mm-hmm. And that must only, that can only be in the afterlife after we've left this world. Mm. And, do you and be, I do. Do you believe I, in anything I, like coming back again or having a, a, a I, I don't, I don't know about that. Mm. In Islam, we don't, there isn't much about reincarnation, mm. but there is definitely a lot about the afterlife. Uh, it says very clearly this life doesn't mean anything. It's all about the afterlife. Mm. And that this life is a test. Right. Well, you understand, you know that if you believe that there is, there might be a tendency not to to ha- to stay within the boundaries that you're given and never uh, try for a better life. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, it's the same in Catholicism. You know, you yeah. have purgatory. You have purgatory, the waiting room, and and you have heaven and hell. Mm. And it's the same in in Islam. We have heaven and hell, and we have a place where you have the chance to ask for forgiveness. Yeah. I just don't, I just think, you know, what about like all these people that murder loads of people, shoot people, rape Mm. people, and and then just go to prison for 20 years? Is that it? Is that their punishment? That's a man-made punishment. Surely there must be... A punishment for these people in another, after they die. I just mm. don't believe you can you can, t- you can cause that much pain to people and, and get away with it. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that because I don't know if punishment is the best thing in life for people who've committed crimes. Surely it's better that they are rehabilitated in some way or some... I know that some people are psychotic and they just don't know what's good and bad. But really, you think people don't know? Well, I just think some psych psychopaths. Uh, 
it doesn't matter to them. They don't have empathy for other people. And and uh, they, uh, that's kind of a weird thing to get your head around, isn't it? That people are born that way. But I mean, it, it's apparently so, right? As a small percentage of people are, are psychopaths. Usually people who get are very successful uh, in business and in politics, probably. I mean, you'd have to be a psychopath to be the president of the United States because you you're how many lives even Barack Obama uh, was responsible for the he, how could you go to bed at night knowing you're responsible for the deaths of thousands of people but I, I, I every human being has a conscience every human and, being and, and you also have a choice you have a choice nobody forces you to do things you have a choice to do things and choice to live your life and Choice to how you choose pe- to treat people. Mm. You, have, you have a choice. Do you? Yeah, it's a free, you know, you have free will to live your life. You know, we're born and we have the free will to live our life how we want to. I mean, you have the free will to kill yourself and you have the free will to, to save yourself. Yeah, but you don't have and the free have will if you're brought up in a certain way. If you're brought up under Catholicism and you never hear and are a strict Muslim upbringing where you and you're if you're taught all sorts of things that make you feel uh, bad about yourself or say your sexual sexuality and things like that and then that all kind of screws you up and then you end up doing bad things because you're screwed you up still have a choice. you still have a choice you don't have to there's nobody holding a gun to your head telling you that you should go and join a terrorist organization or rape loads of women. Nobody is forcing you to do that. You are doing that of your own free will. You might be influenced by your upbringing or your religion, Mm. and you might have been even brainwashed. Mm. But nobody is forcing you to do the actual physical act Mm. of murdering someone. That's Mm. you. You're doing that with your hands. Yeah, but if you believe that you're going to be rewarded in, in, in the next life. Well, that's, that's, that's a choice that you choose to believe that. I was brought up in Islam. My choice is to believe that I shouldn't hurt anyone or murder anyone. And I don't believe that I will be rewarded for that in the afterlife. Mm. Someone else has chosen to believe, believe the opposite. I think, you know, we are given the free will when we're born to do what we want. People choose to people choose to kill themselves, you know, and kill other people. Mm. Uh, there are circumstances that lead us to that point. Mm-hmm. You know, there is our upbringing, our beliefs, how we feel, our circumstances, our situations, and they lead us to make decisions that are either right or wrong. But we do them. But it it is still under our free will. I yeah. Like if you're brought up in a situation where you you're well or middle class or you're well off, but and you can make a few mistakes in your in your teen years, and get away and then have a second chance, you're gonna you know I think you'll have a better life. If you're brought up in a, a, a poverty where you make one mistake and you you end up in prison, like the chances of you making a better life, the chances of you becoming doing then getting angry about that and doing something awful or more. Or higher. Yeah. 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 
but but then there are other people who have a stronger conscience or a stronger will and they don't do those things yeah yeah but it's a bit of both but um it's really incredible how many great people came out of Ireland. Mm-hmm. You know, like Oscar Wilde. I've been to his grave so many times in Paris at Palaches. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. So many times I've been to the grave of Oscar Wilde. There's a glass. When I went there, uh, it's just a couple of years ago, um, people, his grave was the was the biggest, most visited, most graffitied grave in the graveyard. And there are some pretty famous people buried at Palaches. There's like Edith Jim, Piaf. Jim Morrison there, isn't he? Yeah, I've been to Jim Morrison's grave. Mm. Uh, Oscar Wilde's grave, the graffiti on there was as kind of magical as his writing, really. Mm. It was all like, I love you, you changed my life, you saved me. Mm. Uh, people uh, put kisses on there. And and now it's covered, it's it's surrounded by a glass, uh, glass uh, wall now. But when I went there, it was like people left messages. People had written letters mm. and put them in the cracks of, of his grave, a stone. And there was nothing horrible. It was all total adoration, like Oscar Wilde, like you changed the world. And I took loads of pictures when I was there. Yeah. There was also also Samuel Beckett is, is buried there. Oh, right. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think maybe even Seamus Heaney, I, I, he might be. Um, but Samuel Beckett and Oscar Wilde are definitely they're buried there. Maybe James Joyce. Uh, no. James Joyce, um, George Bernard Shaw. Mm. You know, I mean, there's Roddy Doyle. I mean, there's just so many great. Uh, I mean, how can Ireland just Patrick Kavanagh? Mm. I mean, like, how can uh, how can Ireland have? so much greatness that come out of such a small place. Yeah, I don't know, uh, particularly writers, yeah. I, I, I'm i not sure if there's a this kind of uh, version. And comedians. Of... Oh, my God, and the comedians as well. All right, yeah. Yeah, Dylan and... Uh, um... Oh, Dylan Moran. Um, and then we've got Tommy Tiernan, Ed yeah. Byrne, Andrew Maxwell, um you, you know, Joe Rooney in the fish and chip shop in Edinburgh. Your, <laughs> your poster was up in, in Edinburgh at the fish and chip shop. That's how you know you've made it. Yeah. What was even funnier was there was no other posters of any other comedians in there in the fish and chip shop. No. It was just you. That guy, it was just like, it it was like burgers, 450, <laughs> bag of chips, 250, and chips, 550, and then a poster of Joe Rooney at the end. I was like, oh, my God, this is hilarious. <laughs> this is so funny. And, like, no other comedians. Yeah, no, he, he, I've been going in there. I'm going in there 10 years now, and he's a big Father Ted fan as well. But I've been going in, you know, I've, I've, I've known him for over 10 years. And he's a Turkish guy, actually. And uh, uh, he came to the show with his stepson this uh, yes. this year. And... Uh, He's brilliant. He's closed up well, a couple of times and I had a lock-in in the chip shop uh, and he brought out beers and whiskey and everything. It was fantastic. But did you, the most important thing, did you get free chips? I did. I was was get, it getting embarrassing though? Yes, I stopped going. 
I was going to the other chip shop because I was so embarrassed <laughs> going in getting free chips. I felt Were like. you trying to escape the chips? Yeah, I, I was going. Do you find it embarrassing yeah, when uh, people start giving you free stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was not. I was going for a while, but then I felt like I was taking the piss, like going in for free chips. But I did want chips, so I had to go to the other place and then hope he didn't see you'd me. You'd rather pay for them. I'd rather pay for them, yeah. <laughs> the guy's amazing, though. He he uh, came to the show, and afterwards he's there with his step. He's 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 divorced, and he's with a new woman, and he's with her son. And he bought me a beer, and then he said insisted that I have a whiskey with my beer, and he did as well. And, and then I was talking to him about the butcher down the road. There's a butcher nearby that does. Uh, Sausages from made from wild boar and stuff, and I was telling them. How, oh my god, really? Yeah. I'm vegetarian, but that sounds lovely. Yeah, amazing with apple in them as well. And I was telling him about that, and he went, "Oh, I wouldn't know. I'm a Muslim." And we were drinking <laughs> whiskey and beer, like we were. <laughs> he was down in the whiskeys, so yeah. Do you know that there's a lot in common between the Muslims and the Irish? Yeah, in what way? Well, in the religion, the culture, the family, uh, the beliefs, um, we're doing all the things that we are not meant to do, and we all, we do it all in secret. Right. Um, uh, and when you get together with an Irish person, honestly, it only has to be five minutes before they start talking about religion. And in the same, it's the same with the Muslims. Eventually, they'll just bring in religion into it, and it all ends in religion. <laughs> <laughs> really, yeah. I yeah. Uh, and uh, when you were growing up in Birmingham, then was there a lot of Irish people there as well in Birmingham? Is there? Loads of Irish. I had no. all my friends. Well, for a start, I went to a Roman Catholic primary school called Our Lady of Fatima, oh, which wow. people always think is a joke. What, like, oh, Muslim girl at a Roman Catholic primary school? Honestly, I fucking loved it. I would go. I, I know I take Holy Communion every Friday, not the wine, because that's not halal, but I'd take the bread, sing the songs. Um, go to my friend's confirmation. I just I played Mary Magdalene in the school play. Wow. I just loved being at the Roman Catholic primary school. I just loved it. Oh wow. Do you know what the thing with the, the Irish though? There's a lot of singing and dancing. Yeah. And there's a lot of singing and dancing. And there is some this this feeling of kind of salvation and hope and love and positive things. Mm. In Islam, I think, uh, obviously, there's no singing or dancing. I mean, the women, you can barely see them, obviously. So um, not belly dancing, no? There's, no, no, that's that's Turkish. And oh. also, you do get that in Middle Eastern countries, but it's mm. not Islamic. Mm. Okay. Um, and the women are considered to be, you know, low-end women, i.e. prostitutes. Oh. Um, but it's not an Islamic thing to do. And I just always liked the singing and the dancing and the kind of guitar playing and the hymns that the Catholics had to offer. Mm. So I just joined in with it. I just thought it was so, can you believe that, that I found fun in Catholicism? But you only have to be Muslim to be able to find that fun. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> and uh, why were you going to a Catholic school? Because I was so naughty. 
um, my parents, I, I was caught stealing biscuits from the headmaster's office when I was in a normal school. And I was just so badly behaved. My parents felt that if they sent me to the local Roman Catholic school where there was, it was famous for its discipline, mm. that I would, um, that the Catholics would sort me out, mm. which they did because Catholicism, um, it was such a strict school that if you were naughty, you told a lie, you'd get the slipper which meant that the head teacher would hit you with the slipper and you had a choice. You could either get hit with the slipper on your hand or on your bottom. Mm. And they felt, my parents felt that this was a really good discipline. So they sent me to this Roman Catholic school. And I tell you what, any thoughts of stealing any biscuits soon disappeared as soon as I... (laughs) Because when I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to be beaten by the slipper. <laughs> I um, I just started to behave. They were right. And I think probably that's what kids miss these days is that kind of discipline. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. And as we all know, biscuits are a gateway to all sorts of different things. To hell. Yeah. To purgatory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, and uh, did you went? Did you uh, you went to college then straight after school, straight out of school? Was it? Yeah, I went to university. University. I, I did it really to escape an arranged marriage. Really. Are you serious? My parents, really? Yeah, my parents. They wanted me to get married to a Muslim man. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. Did, did you meet any? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I met loads. I met loads. I mean, in the end, I was just meeting them for material. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in the beginning. I met some awful, awful, and I tried, you know what, I tried really hard to conform mm. in the sense that, you know, you when you're a kid, you think your parents are right about everything. Mm-hmm. So you do what your parents say or what your culture dictates to you or, you know, you see the people around you, what they're doing. Yeah. And you think, well, that must be the only way of life and that must be the right way to live your life. Mm. You know, because when I'm growing up in Birmingham, uh, all the girls I went to school with um, had a lot of Irish friends, um, a lot of Asian friends, lots of different. It was very multicultural. But all my Asian friends, you know, they a lot of them had arranged marriages when they were 20. They got married uh, to people that their parents had found for them. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I that's what everyone was doing. And I thought that that was going to be my life. Um, I thought my parents would find me someone and they introduced me to lots of men and I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. There, there is a rebellion. There's a rebel in me, but I think in, in comedy, if you're a comedian, you have to be rebellious, uh, uh, against something. That's why you're a comedian. There's something you don't like. There's something you're fighting against. Yeah. There's something, there's something you don't think is right. You go on stage and you vent your anger, your frustration, or your frustration, or your, you know, injustice at the world. Absolutely. And I think you know that's why I became a comedian because I felt that I think my life as a Muslim woman growing up was it was an injustice. You know, why did I have to marry a Muslim man? Why did I have to live this way? Why did I have to believe the things that I was told to believe? Mm. And it, I was angry because. It just, that life didn't make me happy. It made me feel repressed. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have married a Muslim man and uh, mm-hmm. I met a lot of them. And were any but, of them agreeable to you? 
No, no. being a comedian, absolutely not. No, I and they, a lot of them were were educated. You know, they'd been to Oxbridge. There were yeah. doctors. There were people like that. And they would all. This one man, I remember meeting him. He was divorced with six sons. Wow. Uh, yeah, he was a catch. Um, he was um, divorced with six sons, and I still agreed to meet him. Yeah. I met him, and the first thing he said to me was, um, "I agreed to meet you because uh, I know you're a comedian and you're lower than everyone else, but I thought I'd give you a chance." Oh my god! I know that I know, and I. I couldn't believe it. And then the second thing he said was, you know, I'm divorced with six sons. And he said, you know, people were really jealous of me because I had six sons. And I said, would they have been as jealous of you if you'd had six daughters? And he said, don't be stupid. Do I look like I've got a disability? Oh, my God. Mm. And I thought, this man is so awful. I need to carry on seeing him for the material. For the material. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for the material for the material because it was you know what I thought to, when he was saying these things that I was writing them down when I got home I was thinking if I even went on stage and said these things I don't think people would believe me yeah. I just don't think people would believe me and then uh, the next time I, I met up with him I only met up with him about four times the second time he met me he said um you know um I'm looking for a second wife and I was, I was wondering how you feel about becoming my second wife. And I didn't understand what he meant. Uh, I said, oh, I said, oh, you know, you're divorced. You, 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 you want another wife? And he said, no, I want two wives. I need two wives mm. because I have a high sex drive. And I need one wife with me when I'm traveling for work. And one wife for when I get home. Wow. That's pretty. And and I said, oh, which one can I be? Can I be the traveling wife? <laughs> Please. <laughs> I want to see the world. He, he, he never found me funny. He thought I was just stupid and ridiculous. Um, he... Um, he just uh, he he wanted two wives, and I said, "This is just not Islamic at all." And he said, "Oh yes, it is. The Prophet had four wives. I'm entitled to four wives." I said, "You're bending the rules, you know. Yeah, that's because not the in that was a way of taking someone off the street, is it? Uh, yes, yeah. He, he, but he interpreted that as yeah. as a lot of these people do. Oh, Prophet had four wives. I'm going to have four wives. Mm. Prophet didn't have four wives because he was horny." He had it because he was he was helping women. You know, this guy was mm. just he just wanted to fuck four women at the same time, mm. not the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. He, he he had many criticisms about me being a comedian. Um, one of the main ones was that I have a lot of gay fans. Um, and he said, you know, I think that's absolutely disgusting. You know, you are encouraging what they do. Um, you you know you've got a lot of gay fans. This is not right. It's not right for a woman. Mm-hmm. If I married you, I'd need you to give up the comedy. Uh, and you know what? This is not long ago. This is maybe this is within the last ten years that I met this man. Wow. And then the last thing, another thing he said was, you know, uh, I'm a millionaire. Mm-hmm. He kept telling me I'm a millionaire. Um as though that was an asset to to me, as though that was going to entice me, you know, into a life of prostitution with him. Uh, I'm a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and he was crazy. And was this, I, I, this guy, uh, a British? Yeah, he was British um, born. Yeah. He lived in Croydon. He had a very, very big house. He kept telling me five million pound house in Croydon. He was divorced with six sons. He owned loads of businesses. Mm. Their businesses were architecture businesses. Yeah. Uh, he designed buildings and stuff mm. in the Middle East mainly. Oh, okay. And um, he was he was fifty years old. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I, and you know, I just. I, I, and this was an extreme example of a of a Muslim man, but on the on the lead up to this, I'd met a lot of men that were introduced to me, uh, who were not as extreme as him, but mm. who had similar views about me being a woman, and about how I should conduct myself, and how it was wrong for me to do comedy, mm-hmm. and how I was what what I was doing was wrong. Um, and how I would never, ever get a, a husband because, no, I'm not a decent woman because mm-hmm. I, I do comedy. And, and do, I... Do you think that, that kind of uh, man is the kind of man that far-right people would give as an example as why multiculturalism doesn't, isn't going to work and all this kind of stuff? Well, the, the strange thing is there are many similarities between a man like this and a far-right man. Yeah. You know, they probably share the same views on women, on mm-hmm. how women should conduct themselves, on, on the position of a man and a woman in a marriage. Yeah. Uh, you know, they would be very similar in many ways mm-hmm. uh, in their ideology and the way that they think. Um. I and the strange thing is very it's very hard to try and understand it because a lot of these men were very educated and very intelligent and very successful. Uh, it's difficult because it's hard to know if you're a man with power and that's how you've been brought up. Is it hard to relinquish that power or, is it, or are you just an asshole? <laughs> but, but in a way, you know, the privileged white man is the same as the privileged Muslim man. Yeah. Is that they they're brought up to believe that they are they're the they're the top of this, they're in control, they're in charge, they're entitled. Yeah. And and that they that is their position in, in society, in their culture. Um and that they may love women, but it doesn't mean that you know, that they like them. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of men, they love women. They like kissing women, having sex with women, going out with women, but they don't actually like women. They don't like to be on an equal terms and be challenged by a woman. No. And this, you, you like women, like, you know, I like men, I'm attracted to men, I'm a straight woman. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of straight women that, that don't like men. I mean, you, you can love someone and not like them. How do you mean, um, uh, straight women who don't like, they just don't like men? Well, you know, you're if you're a straight woman, you are attracted sexually to a, to a man, yeah. a, a straight man. You want to sleep with a straight man. You're not gay, so you you don't want to sleep with other women. Mm-hmm. You you are you fancy men, but a lot a lot of them don't like men. They don't, they don't like them. hang out with men they, as friends. Uh, and they don't like them, like they, they, they don't like talking to them, hanging out with them, like their views, think they're boring. But physically, 
they are attracted to them. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, I've never thought about that. Yeah, I, I this 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 particular Muslim man that I met. I mean, I know that he fancied me, but he didn't like me. He didn't like my views. He didn't like I, the fact I was a stand-up comedian. He didn't like that I was a strong woman. He didn't like me, but he fancied me. He, mm. he, he you know, he would, have, he would have slept with me if he, if I'd have given him that chance. Uh, but then he wouldn't have married me. Um, but he didn't like me at all. He didn't like me at all. Right? Uh, do you think he maybe even wanted to? Uh, he, he found it a challenge to subdue you in some way. <sighs> yeah, I think. He saw me as a strong woman and thought, you know, if I can kind of beat her down into submission, that, that would give that would make him feel more powerful. Yeah, yeah. Which, 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 you know, what isn't just a Muslim man thing? It's a lot of men feel that way. Do you think there's uh, any? Um, do you think that the percentage of marriages that are happy in arranged marriages would be are equal? To no, unarranged. No, no. My parents had an arranged marriage. You know, my 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 dad. My mum saw my dad. I think two or three times before they got married, mm. um, which is lucky, really. Uh, it's it's strange because he said he looked like Omar Sharif, but he didn't. You know, he, he looked like a kebab, and I and my mum <laughs> was just like, my mother just went for it. He was like the best thing going at that time in nineteen seventies in Pakistan, and I mean, she married him. They've been married. 50, about 50 years. She's, it's, I mean, hey, what can I say? It's just, it was an arranged marriage. I think you can arrange a marriage. Mm. I mean, in a way, Charles and Diana was an arranged marriage. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and, and she was 19, he was 30. He was a lot older than her, and mm. it was arranged. She was suitable. She was a suitable wife. You know, suitable look for the royal family and all that. And you know what? When you're young, um, like my mum was about 20 when she married my dad. When you're young, I think you can be molded to a degree whereby you, um, especially for the woman, like my mum ended up loving my dad because you are impressionable at that age. Mm -hmm. You know, an older man, he marries you, looks after you. I think you can grow to love that person, um, but uh, often, but you know, in order for it to work, you both have to be, you both have to love each other. Mm. So ultimately, ultimately, it doesn't work. Um, I don't think you can arrange love. Yeah. But, but, I don't think you can arrange love initially, and an arranged marriage. That is what you're trying to instigate. You, I mean, I could have had an arranged marriage, but I think I would either be divorced now mm. or I just wouldn't be alive. I just would have been so unhappy. God. I, I, would, have, I would have thought I need to get out of this somehow. Mm, mm. And I avoided it and I avoided it. And I just, and I think, I think you pay a price either way. Either you have an arranged marriage and you live in a bit and you live in misery, um, or or you choose not to have an arranged marriage, mm -hmm. and you wait and you try and find somebody who you think, oh my God, I'm going to marry the person that I love, and that may never come along, mm -hmm. or 
you you get to an age where you settle anyway. Mm. You think, oh, this will do. And do you think the people? Let's say you're, you're so, you so you grew up with people, women who are in arranged marriages, and they have yeah. children. Do you think yes. it's going to be different for their children? Well, um, I have my best friend. She got married at 25. I was at her wedding. She married a man she'd met twice. It was an arranged marriage. I met him. Mm. She's been with him um, like nearly 20 years now, I think. Um, it's never been, she's never been happy. Um, she's got two kids. She says she loves her kids. Mm. She loves her kids. But she's never really been happy. But she stayed with him. I've had other friends who got married and are now divorced. Yeah. And have got kids. They love their kids. They're divorced, but they're happier now. They're, they're, they're divorced. Um, so um, I'm, I want to say, is it going to continue into the next generation? I know, I, I, no, I think that they're... I think be, the, these women who are my friends will make sure that their kids don't live what they lived. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, that's good. Yeah. It has to it has to has to stop somewhere, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh I like I mean cuz you know, I mean that's how it, it's uh, as a Catholic, I can see that, you know, uh my kids have are much a better upbringing, I think. Yeah. I mean they have more ad they've both went to Catholic schools, but they they're not uh, because they're my children, they have a, an, you know, a funny attitude towards it. They just kind of laugh it off. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. whereas I grew up with it in, I had to go to mass every Sunday as well. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like my parents were having a laugh about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so how, well, did you, what made you want to get into comedy then? Do you know what? I don't know about you. Did you plan to be a comedian? No. Or did it happen? No. Did it happen by accident? It was kind of by accident. I was in a band for a while and that got me into the idea of being a performer. I was singing in a band. And then um, the, I met a guy called Paul Tylak who uh, was into comedy and we did a double act for a while. Were you in U2? Yes, I was. Uh, I knew it was you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was the bass player that um, wasn't even as good as Adam Clayton. But uh, um, yeah, no. Yeah. Actually, do you know I mean, what? Do you know what? Who has supported us? Sean Hughes. Sean Hughes is in a double act, actually. And uh, oh, and oh God, really? Yeah. And uh, he was always into the band, actually. Yeah. Any time I'd meet him, he could quote me the lyrics of of songs that I was singing way back thirty years ago. <laughs> so uh, it's very sad that he died there recently, but um. Uh, but that's how, yeah, so it was accidental. No, it wasn't like something I was growing up with, like thinking I want to be a comedian. I didn't even know what comedy was. Mm. I'd never been to a comedy club in my life before I started comedy. Right. I'd never watched live stand-up. I've never been to, I've never been to a comedy club. When I was growing up, my dad used to watch Dave Allen on TV every Sunday night. Dave Allen telling these stories, sitting on a stool, uh, my mum used to watch Larry Grayson, John Inman, Frankie Howard, uh, Kenny Everett, all the gay ones. I don't think she knew they were gay. Um, but we always used to have comedy on TV. But I 
I, I never in a million years thought I would do that. It was just something I watched white blokes doing, not mm. me. You know, it wasn't a job for me to do. Um, and so I was a teacher and then I just, it just happened by accident, really. I don't think stand-up comedy is something you can plan to do. I think the people that plan to do it never get anywhere. It never lasts. Mm. I think it's something you, it's, it's, it's a bit like Catholicism. I think it's a calling. Yeah. Oh, but like, did you, what, did you start going to see it, going to small clubs no. or something? Or? No, no. I just started, I just, um, I decided uh, I really like comedy and I wanted to write some comedy. So I went on a comedy writing course oh. and the teacher said to me, oh, you need to write some material. I wrote some material about my moustache, having a moustache. <laughs> and then she made you just stand up in front of the class and read it out. And everybody started laughing. Wow. And, she's, and she said, oh, that's really funny. You should go on the uh, on the circuit and perform it. And I said, what's the circuit? And she said, oh, there's this thing called the comedy circuit where it's like rooms above pubs where you just go and perform. I'd never heard of it. I didn't know what it was. Wow. And she just gave me a list of names and numbers. And I turned up one night and it was a room above a pub on Tottenham Court Road. Mm. Um, and um, there was like six people and a dog. And um, and I just stood in this room and I just talked about my moustache, which is what I'd been doing in the class. <laughs> it was like fucking weird because I'm like, what am I doing? Like, um, I'm telling people personal things about myself, yeah. about my moustache in a room, six people on a Tuesday night and on Tottenham Court Road in London yeah. for no money. What am I doing? Like, this is, this was the circuit. <laughs> But people were really laughing. And I started doing this every night of the week. Yeah. And it carried on. Before that point, I had never watched live comedy. I'd never been in a comedy club. I didn't know what the circuit was. Honestly, I was just, when I say I fell into it and I was, I feel like this is what I was meant to do. This is how I, this is how it started. And I know so many comedians that kind of have the same story. Mm hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of cool, actually, because then you don't have that stupid idea that, oh, this is going to be a career, which could be... Yeah. You have more joy, I think, in doing it, in performing it. Yeah. And uh, you said you've you've performed in Pakistan, you just said at the top there. Yeah. So how did that come about? Well, I was invited. I've performed in a lot of strange places around Mm. the world including Kilkenny. Um, yeah. but, um, and you're, are you performing in Galway coming up? No. I've performed in Galway before. Not, all I remember of people in Ireland is uh, women in gutters being sick. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I was in Kilkenny, I thought, if there is a hell, this must be it. Yeah. Because it was women with their faces in gutters every night of the week drinking like the world was going to end and it was just and the number of women i saw vomiting in the streets and everybody else walking past like <laughs> it was nothing like this is nothing i'm standing there going where the hell am i yeah. what is this? and 
it was crazy because um, I've performed like in weird places. I've performed in the Middle East, in, Ab in Dubai, mm. Abu Dhabi, Pakistan, India, um, oh. Kosovo. The British Council took me to Kosovo once mm. to, to perform uh, for these American soldiers. There was no electricity. There was no light. And I was in a cave doing stand-up in the freezing cold. I mean, I've done... I've done some, I've been to we, uh, Scandinavia, I've been all over Scandinavia, to Norway, Sweden, Denmark, um, Canada, uh, America. I mean, I've been uh, in Pakistan. They were such a great audience, though, because they're so repressed. Mm. If you just mention sex, they'll go wild. They'll go wild. They'll be <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it's, uh, uh, but what you know what? I mean, laughter is a universal language. Mm. But when uh, is it a club in Pakistan? It's not. A, it's not like a comedy no. club. No, I did a few clubs in Karachi, but I was performing at the World Performing Arts Festival in Lahore, oh, right. which was massive, massive. And I was performing to a thousand people in a tent outside for three nights. Wow. And honestly, to God, this is true. I did the three nights, a thousand people a night in this massive tent. And I was doing an hour show every night. And it went really well. Yeah. And then word, and, and what I learned from performing to the audience was that the ruder you are, the better. So I started off all soft, and then, you know, by the end, it was all anal sex jokes and stuff. <laughs> anyway, anyway, word got round that I was doing anal sex jokes, and, and I was really fucking <laughs> wild. <laughs> I have to say, I, I wasn't actually doing anal sex. It was just the jokes. Yes, yeah? yes. And, um, and, um Word got round. There's a Muslim woman doing these jokes, and it's fucking terrible. And you know, mm. the day after my last show, um, the Taliban blew up the stadium. <laughs> Jesus, that's your <laughs> fault, is it? Yeah, honest to God, <laughs> this is not even a joke. A suicide bomber blew up the Gaddafi Stadium the day after my last show. Oh. Where I was performing, they blew it up. A suicide bomber. <laughs> I'm sure that's something to do with your anal sex material. Yeah. You know what? Well, they knew that there was an arts festival going on, and they knew that I had been doing this material. Word had got round, and they just felt that it was un-Islamic, mm. and they blew up the stadium. Wow. That is incredible. Yeah, it is. And it's absolutely true. <sighs> Unbelievable! And did 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 you do uh, so in, in Dubai though? Is it just to expats and it's uh, yeah, and some locals? But oh, you know yeah. what, Dubai Dubai is very uh, liberal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what? It's full of Westerners. It's yeah. Um, you know, it's not Islamic. Islamic. Well, I don't know. Is it not Islamic for the locals as opposed to the you know? The expats. Listen, you different. can listen. You can you can still get sex, drugs, and rock and roll in 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 Dubai. Yeah, yeah. You can't get that in Mecca. I'm telling you. All I've right. tried. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. Comparatively, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's Islamic countries, and then there's Islamic countries. You know. Mm -hmm. Oh, like it's, it has a big difference. Where was I? I was in somewhere one of the uh, uh, old Soviet states which is an islamic okay. country but it was completely not islamic okay in that sense that yeah was... people always find a way around it you know yeah the material you do then about um 
Ah, uh, your parents. I know you say something about. I think you do something about your um, mother wearing the burqa because she doesn't want to be seen with your father and stuff. Well, that, well, obviously that's that's a joke. I mean, he is ugly, but you know, <laughs> not, I mean, she's been with him fifty years. I think she's used to him now. But um, it's true that she does cover from head to toe. That's true. Yeah. Um, but just saying, do you get any backlash from British Muslims for material like that? Um, not from British Muslims, because I think British Muslims are very British. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, but you, you know, I oh, sorry, you, you were saying that your dad wanted to be as British as possible when he arrived. Over yeah, in Pakistan, he right? did. He did. But, you know, as much as he wanted to be British, he's still a Pakistani man. Yeah. And he still has had his views on women, you know, that how women should be like he just felt that women you know, when I was growing up, his views on women, he would just come from Pakistan. His views on women were, you know, you cook, you clean and you lie back and think of Islamabad. You know, mm-hmm. that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're as a woman, you're a wife, you're a mother. Um, the man is the head of the household. It was that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the, he was like um, the Pakistani version of Saddam Hussein. Right. Yeah. I but he loved white women and they loved him. They thought he was ever so exotic. Oh, really? White women in love. Oh, God. 70s and 80s, white women just loved these Pakistani men that came over. Yeah, dark men. Yeah, because my friend Paul Tylock, he's his dad is Sri Lankan, his mother is from Dublin. He was here, uh, I don't know when we met, it's a long time ago, and there was no dark people in Dublin, or very few. Oh, God. And now... And now there's only three, I've heard. Is that correct? There's three more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, God, yeah, the women loved him. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Uh, The Irish girls loved him. But... uh, um, You know what I've always found, though, with the Irish is that um, I've always had, wherever I go in the world, Irish men, they really do like darker women. And I don't know if it's because in Ireland you just didn't have that... And it's something so different. Anyone without freckles, yeah, it's very and like, attractive. I've had so many Irish men say, oh, my God, you're so exotic. And, oh, we don't have anybody that looks like you in Ireland. Mm. We don't, they'd grew up with not having much kind of ethnicity around. Absolutely, no. No, it's just total monoculture, yeah. Mm. And that gets boring, I, I assume. Yeah, yeah, I guess so, yeah. You just see brown people on TV, but you never meet them. Mm. Um, and do you find, uh, how do you feel if someone says you're very exotic? Does that, what does that? I think it's hilarious because I'm from Birmingham. I tell you what. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because honestly, there is nothing, nobody that comes out of Birmingham is is exotic. And, and under any circumstances, once they start talking, it kills any exoticness that you might have. Yeah, actually, with Peaky Blinders being so big, it's it's become kind oh, of yeah. a cool accent. But uh, there's one thing that struck me when I saw your uh, set uh, at uh, Edinburgh. So you were yeah. talking about the fact that actually your father would have voted to leave yeah. Yeah. in yeah. favour of Brexit, and uh, yeah. it was quite interesting. Like you would have. It's this idea that the immigrant, and I see, I think it's the same with Irish people who've emigrated to America. They're the most 
conservative and anti-immigration people there are. And yeah, I know. Somebody said to me, actually, they came to see my show, and uh, this woman, she came up to me afterwards, she was a lecturer, uh-huh. and she said to me, the last immigrant always closes the door behind them. Yeah. And I think that's probably true because we're, we're always worried about our own survival. Yeah. What if we get deported? What if we have to go through the racism that we suffered the first time round? You know, what if there's no one left to help us? And I think we're always worried about our own survival, that uh, we that we don't care about the new generation of immigrants that come in after us. They're a threat re- to you. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. really, they're a threat to our survival, even though we should feel safe now. But listen, you're are you are you touring at the minute? I'm going to be touring my new show, Coconut, in from November. From November, are you coming to Ireland then? I will be. I'll be coming to the gutters of Ireland, <laughs> um, where the women are vomiting. <laughs> Galway, Kilkenny, Dublin. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll be coming to save you all from yourselves. Please do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Are you, you, you? I hope you don't. Are you not going to go on Tuberty again? Are you? I saw you were on Ryan Tuberty. Yeah, Ryan Tuberty. That's a very unusual audience, isn't it? Yes. Um, and if he invited me on again, though, I would go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a. It's a tough audience. They're. They're. I don't know. They can't get. They seem to get these really old people from. Yes. Who are just about to die just from the villages of Ireland. Honestly, they are so old, they cannot be asked to laugh. <laughs> they cannot be bothered to laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I actually was talking to a researcher from that Late Late Show and they said they have to try and keep the old people further back in the audience because it's, it's beginning to look really bad that there are just these people <laughs> who are about to die. <laughs> Honestly, you turn the TV on and you think, oh my God, is this someone's funeral? What's happening? <laughs> oh no, it's it's funny. And they don't get any references. They're, they just don't have any references outside of their village. So it's a tough one. It's a tough one. But um, you go on again. So look, uh, uh, let us know when you're gigging. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Uh, thanks for doing it. Thanks. Thank particularly you. like you... you Coming from the royal family to me, that's just an honour. Thanks a lot, Shazia. Oh, that's okay. Thanks for having me. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. that lovely uh brilliant so uh yes before you go that gig in longford it's in the market bar in longford on the um well i gave you the date earlier didn't i i mean you must remember i mean come on do you expect me it's the 19th of october that's it yeah so um 
one other thing yes before i go i am going to be doing a gig i want to film a gig in the uh, helix on the 11th of january and i'm going to there will be a uh, uh, GoFund uh, set up because I need to raise uh, five and a half thousand to pay for the venue and to shoot it cameras equipment um, crew and uh, that's going to be up soon keep an eye out for that if you want to um, get involved you can obviously buy tickets but there's also other ways you can uh, uh, pay for my shoot uh, including uh, booking me to play in your own house or at a wedding or some event and all sorts of ways but uh, I'll uh, talk to you more about that plus also the uh, improv uh, uh, improv podcast will be coming out called uh, it's called uh, 24 hour news hour with Joe Rooney I've uh, recorded two of them um, and uh, I'll record a few more and then it'll be coming out soon but just keep your eyes peeled for that and your ears um, unblocked and your skin sensitive and the hairs on the back of your neck upright just for that it's coming soon to a, a earplug near you <laughs> okay next week i'm not sure who i'm who's on uh but uh there certainly would be a person okay see ya bye Listen, if you're still living with bladder accidents, stop. It's time to get your life back. I was just like you until I found real relief with Axonix Therapy. It's not a pill or a pad. It's a clinically proven advanced treatment. Get started at findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com.